Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yuma, daf Membav, page 46. Still in the middle of its discussion, and this closes out uh, Parak Dalad, uh, this particular daf, about all the different pyres that they needed to build for different things that needed to be burned. I mean, you know, that there was a machlokas of the Tanayim, about all the different, uh, how many were there? Were there three? Were there four? Were there sometimes five? Um, and, and what they all were used for. Um, and in the middle of this, there's a, a statement here by Rav Huna that the Gemara wants to explore a little bit more in depth, um, uh, where it looks like Rav Huna actually disagrees with the teaching of Rav Yelazar, um, but we're really just going to look at the piece of what Rav Huna says here. Gufa. So we're looking at the text itself of Rafuna's statement. I'm a Rafuna. Rafuna says, Tamid Tachilato Docha. Right? When we talk about the Tamid offering, its beginning basically overrides the law. So fo no docha, but its end does not override the law. And so the Gemara basically says, My Ainu Docha. Right? What does it mean it does override or doesn't override? What is it refer? What laws is it referring to, right? And the basic question they're referring to is it referring to Shabbos, or is it referring to Tuma? And so the Gemara is basically going to give two opinions here to try to understand this very unusual statement. Rav Chistamar Docha et Shabbos. That what he's talking about is that the end of the Tamid, right? When we're burning its parts, it does not. It uh, the end of the Tamid, uh, it overrides. The law of Shabbat, but it does not override the law of Tuma. So Rav Huna is basically saying that when you have the sacrificial parts of the Tamid, um, they can be burnt. They can't be burned if they're in a state of Tuma, right? Even though we usually would override some, you know, Tuma issues because we need the korban Tamid, but you can't just burn it. Uh, or burn the parts that aren't significant for that. But when it comes to burning the parts for Shabbos, we override Shabbos for that. So if you had parts of the Friday Tamid that didn't totally burn on Shabbos, you're allowed to burn, sorry, that didn't totally burn on Friday, you can burn them on Shabbat. But Rabba Amar, Rabba has a different, right? The inverse, Docha et Tuma, it overrides, but it does not override the laws of Shabbos. So he would say the opposite, which is that you can burn the parts of the Korban Tamid, even if they're Tameh, but the Friday parts uh, that aren't burned before Shabbat, you're not allowed to burn them um, on Shabbat itself. So now Abaye wants to question Rav Chista here and his interpretation of Rav Huna and Rabbah. Uh, so he says, Amar le Abaye le Rabbah. So Abaye says to Rabbah, I can come up with a kasha both for your opinion and for Rav Chisa's uh, opinion. Kasha, what's the problem with your with your opinion, right? Where he said it overrides, uh, it over, what Rav Chisa was saying, what Rav Huna was saying is, is that it overrides Tuma, but doesn't override Shabbos. Maishna Tuma, right? How is Tuma any different? It specifically says when it's talking about uh, the Korban Tamid in uh, Bamidbar, Chapter twenty-eight, verse two. So it says the following: Stab ebn Israel, but martalehem et korbani lachmi leishi reach nichochi tishmeru lakrivli b'moado. Right. So the pasuk there says basically uh, that what that command you know the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food, and for my fires and my uh, I guess like satisfying aromas. 
right? Guarded to bring it to me, Bemoado. It needs to be brought in its time, right? Shabbat Nami Bemoado, Vafilu Shabbat, right? So, in other words, when it says Bemoado, obviously it means Tuma, but also it should mean Shabbat, right? Like it has to mean Shabbat as well, Bemoado. So, in other words, when you read this Pasuk, right, well, how could you even differentiate between Tuma and Shabbat? There really shouldn't be any differentiation. Right. The point is that when the Pasuk says Bemoado, Bemoado means Bemoado, regardless of the status of Shabbat, regardless of the status of Tuba. And then he sort of says the same thing to Rav Chista. With Rav Chista Kasha, the same Kasha with Rav Kisha. With Rav Chista, Maishna Shabbat. Why does he pull Shabbat out as something that, uh, you know, that you you would override? Because it says Moado, even for Shabbat. Right? So, you know, if you're going to say true of Shabbat, you also need to say it's true of Tuma because of this statement of uh, Bemoado. So his point is, is that having this word Bemoado means that it it, it just always has, the, it, the burning has to take place of the Korban Tamid in its time. And it makes no difference about his status of Tuma or of Shabbat. And so he's basically saying to both, uh, Abai saying both to Rabbi and to Rav Chista, I don't understand what your distinction is. How can you make any distinction at all? So Rabbi answers him back, Amar Lei, So I love this, that Rabbi is explaining both his and Rav Chista's opinion. He says there's no difficulty, there's no kasha. Because he holds that with the idea of it, of the ability to override any law, the end of the tamid is like the beginning, right? Um, and so he says, Tuma dechilato bar midacha tumahu. Since the beginning of the Korban Tamid, when we're talking about when you offer the blood, it can override the laws of Tuma. Soponami dachi. Also at the end, it will override the laws of Tuma. But when it comes to Shabbat, dechilato laba midacha shabbatu, the beginning of the Friday Tamid, meaning when you slaughter it and you, you know, do the blood part of the Korban Tamid, you can't override Shabbat for it. In other words, that has to be done. The Friday Korban Tamid has to be done before Shabbat itself, right? Because it's the Friday Korban Tamid. You can't do those beginning avodot before, like on Shabbat. They have to be done on Friday because it's part of the Friday Korban Tamid. So therefore, sopo nami lo dachi. So it's end parts you also can't do on Shabbat. And that's his point. That's how he's able to make that distinction. Tuma is different, right? Once you're going to say you can override Tuma, you can override Tuma. But with Shabbat, it's different because those beginning avodot, if they're not done at the right time, they can't be done later on Shabbat. And so therefore, if the burning didn't take place on Friday, that can be done on Shabbat. How does he explain Rav Chista? Rav Chista lo kasha. Rav Chista also, it's not a problem. So folk to He doesn't hold, right? And this concept at all, that the end has to be like the beginning. This isn't a concept that he actually holds to. He doesn't hold that that has to be. And therefore, he can allow that the end of the Friday tummy can override Shabbat, right? So Shabbat, and now we're going to see some concepts that we've seen before, particularly Masach Pesachim. Shabbat Hutra Hibitzibor, right? For Shabbat, right? Shabbat restrictions. We say that they are, they're not just overridden, it's mutar. You're, you're allowed to do it for a communal need. So so even in the end, the korban tamid, of course, is going to override it because this is a communal need. It's a communal korban. 
So of course you're allowed to burn it, right? Tuma, but when it comes to tuma restrictions, right? The duchiahi betzibor. It only overrides it when there's like a communal need. It's not that it's permitted, but it's that you, you there's a communal need to do it, right? And the beginning of the Korban Tamid, that's the primary avodah. The shechita and the blood is the primary piece. That's what you need for the kapara that the Korban Tamid gives you, right? Um, and that's what's going to override it. So but the end of the Korban Tamid, right? The having to make sure that everything is burned, it's not really the ikar. It's not really what you need according to Rav Chisa for the kapara. And therefore, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to actually, um, it's not going to, to, to override it. Um, so I, I thought this was very interesting because um, it, 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 uh, we see some of these concepts that we've seen before when it comes to korbanas. Remember with the korban Pesach, we had this whole thing of what do you do if everybody is, you know, uh, if everybody is tame an Arab Pesach, right? Is it a Hutra or is it Duchia, right? What do you do? Do you say, oh, it's totally permitted or are you saying you're making a special exception and you're actually overriding it? So I just wanted to read through this section because first of all, I think it's great how um, Rabba not only defends his opinion, but actually also defends Rafisa's opinion to Abaye. And I think that always is a sign of a great teacher that he can understand all opinions and not only, you know, and defend them, but the last piece is, is that, again, seeing some of these familiar concepts we see about where do korbanos fit in, right? When there are certain criteria that are not met, like issues of tuma, issues of it being Shabbat, but there's such a strong communal need for bringing those korbanos, maybe it's not just that we're overriding it, but it's actually hutra. It's actually like, it, it, it's lechat chila, okay, it, it, it's a thing that we're allowed and supposed to be doing. So I'm uh, I'm going to sidestep everything that you've just said, meaning I think you've articulated very well. But I I'm struck again that we've got a comparison of Yom Kippur. Now, in this case, it, maybe it's a little bit more practical, just a comparison between Yom Kippur and Shabbos. But but still, like instead of saying here's Yom Kippur, right, like here's Yom Kippur, it's the big day. We're saying it's Yom Kippur, but we do this like Shabbos, but it's not like Shabbos in this way, which I just. I don't know. Again, maybe this is being like looking too small, you know, too 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 focused in. But there's something very interesting to me about how Yom Kippur, Masachet Yoma, keeps comparing the day of Yom Kippur and all the different avodot of the day to various different other things. Whether it's the Paraduma, whether it's you know other kabbanot, whether it's in this case Shabbos. Meaning, and as we're talking about Isra Malacha, which Shabbos is the paradigm, but Yom Kippur is Shabbat Shabbaton, I would think we wouldn't need to talk about it. But I, I agree with you. And again, it's you're right in the sense that it's interesting to see that sort of the singular avoda, all these parallels are always being, like everybody wants to make the avoda of Yom Kippur fit into some framework. But I could make as much strong of an argument as like, it's the avoda of Yom Kippur. We shouldn't draw anything from it. Right. It's special enough. What are you trying to do here? Exactly. exactly. This is exactly my question. Um, I mean, clearly I'm wrong, right? Meaning, because right. the comparisons are there. Gemara that really taught, I mean, yes, we had Masach Pesachim, but it didn't really talk about it in terms of a discussion of Avodah. That really wasn't a language that we saw in Masach Pesachim. It was about the bringing of a communal korban. Um, right. So it's just, I, 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 what I'm struck by through all of Masach Yuma, and then I'll let you close out the parak, is how we, our first 
There's no Masechah devoted to the daily Avodah. We are starting from the high point of the Avodah to explore the Avodah. Yes, that's right. And even though this Masechah begins in the morning, it really begins the week before, right? And it, and it kind of follows the calendar or the trajectory of the schedule of all this, there's still no... I don't know what introduction, so to speak, that defines the terms and says this is what's happening, right? We talked about the Tamid Aga, like by the way of talking about Yom Kippur, like we're talking about the Yom Kippur carbon. So we're going to let you know in what ways it's different from the regular daily carbon that we haven't ever talked about yet, which is again, like it gets all the information out there, right? It's something that does make the learning of the Duff quite engaging and interesting. It's certainly also very far into the way you might present all the exact same information if you were writing a textbook for the 21st century Western civilization. Uh, for sure. Okay, so I'm going to jump now. I don't think I'm really jumping. It's really just the very end of the daf um, and the end of the parak. As we said, this is the end of chapter. Let's make sure we've got this right because once before we goof this, um, it's the end of chapter four. Um, and one of the things that is mentioned here, and it's mentioned in its own right, meaning it's a discussion in its own right, is not specific to Yom Kippur, but Yom Kippur is, of course, part of the conversation. We're talking about the fire on the Mizbeach and the prohibition against it ever being extinguished, ever. So, right, we've got this prohibition from Vayikra in Leviticus chapter 6, where we say that there's a there has to be a fire burning on the Mizbeach on the altar all the time. And about when we're talking about that that prohibition, meaning the prohibition of letting it go out. So we've got Amarayim who are debating it, which again we've talked about this, you know, incessantly perhaps, but we've we need to recognize that this is a, a fire that indeed has gone out by the time it is the Amorayim, right? They are in a different country and there is no Beit HaMikdash with a fire burning. So I imagine that's even a, a sad conversation for them because it's supposed to never go out and it you know stands for so much and yet it's out for their experience of it. So in any case, they're going to discuss the halacha of it, right? And so Rava says, no, Abaye says rather, that if for one who did let it go out, then Abaye says Yerchayev, right? Which I assume would mean that Yerchayev a korban because presumably you have let it go out b'shogeg, meaning you have unintentionally let the fire go out. Anybody who is actively coming to put the fire out has no business working in the Beit HaMikdash to begin with. And Rava says he's not. He's not Chayv to begin with. He's he's uh, Patur. He's exempt from having to bring any kind of Korban in an apology. So then the Gemara, you know, is going to elaborate and explains as follows. This is the example of somebody who extinguished a coal. Right, so what happens? Just somebody's standing at the top of the mizbeach, and at that point, he extinguishes a coal, he extinguishes the coal, the coals to alma lo Well, if that's where you're situated and you manage to extinguish the coals there, then you're going to be then you're going to be held accountable according to everybody, because the implication, of course, is that you have done something that will extinguish the coal. Meaning, it's it's more intentional. Let's put it that way, at least in the action of it. So what are they disagreeing about? They're disagreeing about if the coals were brought down to the ground level and then somehow, you know, the coals were extinguished. Abai's rationale is you're talking about the fire from the Mizbeach. It doesn't matter where it is. The moment you've got fire from the Mizbeach, you are uh, from the altar, and then you're going to 
be the the one who has, you know, again, inadvertently, inadvertently, you've let it go out, then you're going to be considered liable. But Rava Amar Patur Nitka Nitka, the moment it's been removed from all, you know, it's removed off the Mizbeach. So the fact that it once was on the Mizbeach does not mean, according, you know, he disagrees with Abaye here. He says it's it's no longer on the Mizbeach. Don't worry about it. You're exempt. You haven't. You yes, you've extinguished it, but it's not the it's not the altar fire if it's not on the altar, according to Rava. So the Gemara then asks, Ella, had Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rabba Baravua, Hamorid Gachel, Me Algabe Mizbech Vikiba Chayav, Keman Kebaye. I mean, this is a question. So we're talking about a case where somebody actively takes a coal from the Mizbech, <coughs> excuse me, and then again, you know, intentionally extinguishes it. Is that person going to be, and we say that that person is Chayav? Well, who's who is this according to? Is this according to Abaye, where clearly Abaye is going to say Chayev, or or we not or not, you know, because it seems that in general when we paskin, this is an important halachic rule. Let's make sure that everybody knows that when there's a machloka between Abaye and Rava, we paskin like Rava, meaning Abaye and Rava are often in dispute. But if they can't come to some resolution, and often the Gemara resolves it, right, where they can be they're talking about different cases or whatever, right? But if the dispute stands, then nearly always, I mean, again, I, I haven't done any statistics here, but the general principle is certainly that the halacha follows Rava. So then the Gemara goes on, afilu tema karava. So do, could you want to say that the Gemara, the Gemara is following Rava really, even when it says that this guy who has taken the coal from the Mizbeach and put it out is Chayev, even though that doesn't sound like Rava's opinion, maybe it really can be read in accord with the Rava as well. Hatam lo in mitzvata. Because when it was taken down, it wasn't taken down for the sake of the mitzvah of, you know, you know, I don't know, clearing off the Mizbech, whatever. It's or, or for that matter, anything pertaining to the gold itself. It's simply it's described here as kind of a casual act. And so maybe when Rava says <clears throat> that the removal of the of the of the coals from the Mizbech means that you're no longer going to be culpable for putting it out, it wouldn't apply because you haven't really done this removal. And that could be a legitimate distinction to say that Rava would agree with Abai. And then, and it's interesting, Yordan, I think that this is the way the, the, the parak concludes with an Ika Amri. Ika Amri means that there's another version of the same text that we've just had that is going to read just slightly differently. And and I guess the idea is that it's really supposed to supplant the text that we just read. But because the way the Gemara works, right, we keep everybody's opinion alive and we keep different variants of the text alive as well by saying, well, there's the first one. And then we've got an Ika the Amri. There's, it, stand, it means literally Yesh Omrim, Ika Yesh the Amri, Amrinan, those who say. Um, and the idea, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but I think it bears repeating. But the idea here is that this text that I'm about to just go through very quickly is going to be slightly different than what we've just read. And it says, again, this is an example of where they bring the, he brings the coals to the ground. He brings the coals to the ground and extinguishes a coal, a coal rather, there on the ground. So there's rather, I say it's an in, you know, a slight differences, but sometimes the slight differences have a whopping meaning. Right, where everybody would agree that by removing the coal and extinguishing it on the ground, then even a, a baye would agree that that would be, um, he would be patur, he would not be obligated 
in bringing a carbon. He would not be culpable for the fire going out. He pleaded the Kabe Barosho Shomizbach. The dispute is really what happens if the extinguishing goes happens on the on while at the top of the Mizbach to begin with. The same rationale, Abai says, you've got, the, you've got altar fire, that's it. Because the moment it's removed, it's removed. So the, the dispute between them is the same wording, but the plige, meaning the, the case that they are refining the dispute to be about is the opposite case. And then the Gemara asks, El Hadam Rav Nachman, Amrav Rabba Baravua. And again, this is still part of the Ikid Amre. It's the revision of the text. So, right, we had seen before that if you remove it and you put it out, you'll be, um, you'll be patur. Right? Did I read this one right? I want to make sure I haven't forgotten it. Um, I know that says ridiculous. I just read it a second ago. Um, no, in both cases, it says chayav. So this is the distinction here between this text and the previous text. Not like Abai and not like Rava. Why? It's a different view altogether. Once you're talking about removal for the sake of the mitzvah, that is a caveat that Rava did not articulate. So the Gemara's claim in this Ikad Amre is that it's not really Rava's opinion. I don't read it. You don't have to read it into Rav's opinion to be able to to conclude. Like that's Rav Nachman's opinion. That's fine. You know, it doesn't have to be Rav's opinion. And the machloka between Abaya and Rava is more narrow in scope than the than the first version before the Ikeda Amre. Wow! I think with that we're going to close out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.